Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Are you ready? All right. In January 1984, I was 31 years old, almost 32. Next month, I would have been. And I went to James Robinson Bible Conference to hear Paul Yonggi Cho, David Wilkerson, um, John Wimber, Dudley Hall, um, many, uh, James Robinson, many Southern Baptists, spirit-filled Southern Baptists. And while I'm there, I see John Wimber for the first time. And I see not only the power to make you feel God emotionally, but the power that is so real that you actually not only feel God emotionally, which is the only way I knew, but to feel him tangibly, his power on your body. I'm sitting on the second row. I got there early. I wanted to get in and uh, uh, to, 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 to see him because I'd, I'd never heard him or, except on television once. And as he's praying for this woman, a young woman, her dress still begins to shake because she's shaking. Now, you can't, I really can't see her, but I, I can see her dress. And I'd never seen that. That's the most power I'd ever seen at that time. I've come a long way. But I elbowed my deacons and said, look at that. Look, see her dress tail? It's shaking. That's power. I've never seen anything like that. And then John took her hand and put it on this man next to her. And then he starts shaking. I said, oh my gosh. I went up to John that night and I had two deacons with me. And I said, John, and I really wanted him to pray for me, but I felt like I was, that day, the Lord had been dealing with me, showing me a lot of my shortcomings and faults, and not so much what I did wrong, but what I wasn't doing right as enough, like praying. And I said, I'm, I'm not worthy for you to pray for, but I have two of my deacons. Will you pray for them? And he grabbed me by the hand, spun me around, and said, no, I'm going to pray for you. Now, that, after, that morning, I saw him out of about 700 Baptist pastors say this word of knowledge. God just showed me three of you are practicing homosexuality. If you'll come, talk to me in private. I want to pray to break that off for you. And I thought, oh, my God. God tells him the secrets <laughs> about people. So here I am, and I'm looking at his blue eyes, and he's looking right at me. We're about this close to each other. I think, oh my God, he's going to tell me everything that's wrong with me. And, and it's going to be embarrassing. And, but instead, I wished I had it written down what he said, because I didn't remember it all. But what I did remember is this. I felt like I didn't feel like a son in the kingdom. I felt like a servant in the kingdom. Even my first request to John, I'm not worthy, but would you pray for my friend, my deacons? And he's looking at me. I'm expecting to hear the negative word because I really didn't understand that prophecy is to encourage and to build up and to comfort. My thing was it was to expose sin, kind of 
the old TV show, Maud. God's going to get you for that. That was my view. But he says this instead. You're a prince in the kingdom of God. God's going to really use you. And you're going to be, you're going to go to the nations and you're going to pray for people and God is going to use you and people are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and gifts are going to be activated in their lives. Now, he didn't tell me anything else, but later I found out that he heard God audibly in that moment. And then the next time we met, the first two times, he heard the audible voice of God. And Wimber only had that happen five times his whole life, two of them when we met. And that and was basically this, that there was a, an apostolic call on my life and that God was going to use me and send me to the nations. Because he asked me on to the council of the Vineyard Movement and I, only, I was just starting a new church in St. Louis and didn't even have 50 people and everybody else on that, on that council had staffs bigger than my church. Everybody else said 500 to 5,000. And here I am with not even 50. And I was complaining, why would John do this? And this man named Blaine Cook, who was the guy who came to my Baptist church three months later in March of 84, he said, Randy, you're not on this council because of anything you've done or anything you're doing. You're on this council because God told John what you're going to do. He made a long-term investment in me. Ten years later to the month, January 94, I'm in Toronto. I'm with John or not. John Wimber calls me. And I could hear in his voice, he's on the verge of tears, his voice is kind of crackling. And he says, Randy, what God showed me about you 10 years ago, it starts now. It's wonderful to get a, a word, but I felt, I felt like that couldn't happen. And even though there had been the prophetic word that this was going to happen, I, I had trouble believing it. So that was 1984 when I heard that. 1989, five years later, I'm in a regional meeting of the vineyard, and I'm, I'm confused because Wimber said, I have an apostolic call in my life, but it doesn't believe in apostles. Now, that is confusing. Would you agree? Somebody said, you got an apostolic call in your life, but it doesn't believe in apostles. It believes in adjectives, but not nouns. And I was confused, and Bob Jones said, you have a teaching gift. I was a pastor. I loved evangelism, and I definitely didn't think I was prophetic. Maybe pathetic, but not prophetic. <laughs> My church is still small. It's not hasn't broke 200 barrier yet. And this guy who now is an Anglican bishop, but then he was a regional overseer in a vineyard, God, from another region, he, and it was visiting. And I'd prayed, God, I want to know what I'm for, so I can focus on that. Tonight, would you have somebody prophesy to me what I'm for so I can really focus on it? 
And it didn't happen like what I thought. I stood up there. Nobody came. I mean, well, take that back. Some people came. I had three or four prophecies that were true, but they weren't God's truth for me. Do you know what the difference is? That's a biblical truth, but that's not what God is wanting to say to you. And so I knew this wasn't what I'm looking for. And I'm sitting down, and this guy came up to me, Ron Allen, and he said, the enemy's tried to kill your son because there's a strong anointing in your son's life, and when you're older, you're going to stand in the nations together, and his anointing will eclipse your anointing. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't get it. I just said, thank you. <laughs> and he walks off, and over here he is, standing with my regional overseer, who has a rule in this church, nobody blows on anybody. That's just one of the rules. And it hits me what he said. That's a good word. I mean, my son's going to be with me. And he said, God, and, and, and his anointing will eclipse yours. He will not ride your coattails. You ride his because his anointing will eclipse yours. And now he's 41 years old. And, and he's our, our COO of the ministry. Gave up a very good career as a lawyer to come to work with me. And when he was going through hard times, I'd stand on that word because he's only like eight years old when I got it so when he was 17 and not in a good place I stood on the word all the way through his life I'm standing on this promise of what God has said he's going to do and it began to happen I had and I had been crying out since I was 19 years old. The night I got this word from Ron that you're going to stand in the nations, I, I, I didn't have a passport. And I didn't want to go to the nations. I just would like to go to another city in America. You know. I'd had one invitation to preach in the last 14 years. My church was outstandingly successful. The first church, when John taught, said that to me, right? I, had a, I was in a village of 120 people. We had about 120 people in the church. 150 on Easter. When things did start happening in my life, so many of my friends called me and said, Randy, is, is this you they're talking about? In Toronto, I said, you're, you're surprised. Yeah, I, I'm, I said, I am too. <laughs> Sometimes you can get a word that's so far away from where you're presently at, you don't have faith for it. But, but I want to encourage you. Even though I didn't have faith for three, four times of confirmation of this, about going to the nations and all. I put all those words on the back burner and I never tried to fulfill them. I just tried to be faithful. But when I saw that they were starting to be fulfilled, the faith that they didn't create when they were given to me because they were way too big. My mind, my, my mind couldn't comprehend how God could do that. When it began to be fulfilled, all those words came back with giving great faith for what was about to happen. 
So anyway, I went over to the, the guy that gave me the word, and I pecked him on the shoulder, Ron. I said, hey, Ron, that was a good word. Would you pray for me? And so he puts his hand right here on my forehead, and he starts to pray for me. And my area overseer has a rule. In this church, nobody blows on anybody. He blew on me. And when he did, I hit the floor. I mean, it, it, wasn't, this is a, it wasn't like I just didn't fight. I didn't, it wasn't like I quit resisting. No, it was, I literally, the 10-foot the, the angel with the baseball that he actually once showed up <laughs> and clipped me at the knees. And I hit the floor, and I'm burning up, and I'm sweating. I sw I'm sweating so much. And my hands are feeling like they're electrified, that they hurt. And I had been praying since I was 19 years old when I'd read Finney and Moody's autobiographies about I perceive that these waves of liquid love and these waves of electricity would have continued to roll over me wave after wave after wave. I would have died. Or D.L. Moody who said, stay your hand, Lord. I can't stand anymore. I said, God, I've never had an experience like that. I've never had an experience where I was afraid you were going to kill me, but those two men became great evangelists. And God, if you still do that, would you do that to me? Would you touch me with so much power that you scare me that I'm afraid I'm going to die? Nineteen thirty-seven when it happened. And it, and it scared me. I've had it happen once. I really don't know if I would like to have that happen again. <laughs> because I have experienced it. And I've seen other people experience it. Where what God is doing to them is so strong. It is scary. That they often think they're going to die. I've seen it in the United States. I've seen it in Brazil. I've seen it in many nations. It is rare, and it is the exception. But I think the, by telling the stories, more people will become hungry and want to be touched in this way. So in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12, is a text we want to start with, it says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Do we have any forceful people here? That you want to lay hold of the kingdom and the, it's been advancing forcefully, it's been receiving, sometimes it's been suffering violent, then violent take hold of it in King James. And so this is this passage about being forceful, that, that we're entering into the kingdom, moving in his power. We're not, well, I'm here, Lord. Here I am. Do whatever you want. If you want me to be filled with the Spirit, then do it. If you want me to speak in tongues, then do it. If you want me to laugh, then do it. If you want me to cry, then do it. Whatever you want to do, I'm open. Sounds pretty spiritual until you apply it to salvation. Well, here I am, God. You can save me if you want to. If you want to save me, go ahead. 
doesn't sound near as spiritual when we apply it to salvation. I want to look at scriptures. The first thing, the first point, when I first got married, I was fishing for a compliment from my, my wife. It was the first Easter we had after I was married and I'm preaching at the Baptist church and I preached my Easter sermon and on the way home, fishing for a compliment because I'm insecure. I said, what'd you think of the message, hon? And she said, what were your points? All you did was tell stories. I said, it's defensive. What do you mean, what's my points? The, the stories were the points. If you got the story, you got the point. How can you remember a point without a story? If I don't have a story and a guy gives me a point or a woman gives a preacher, whoever, men or women, if they give me points and no stories, I'll forget those points before I get to the car. I need stories. And she said, well, that's good for you, but I need points. <laughs> My wife had never been to a speech class. She didn't go to college. She never had anything about public speaking or preaching or anything like that. And it's right then she rattled it off. You need to tell me what you're going to tell me. Give me what are your points going to be. And then I want you to tell me what you told me you were going to tell me. And then when you're done telling me what you told me you're going to tell me, then tell me what you told me. <laughs> Which is good homiletics. I was insecure. I admit it. But I felt like she was weird. <laughs> and I was normal. And then one day I had the horrible revelation of, I read somewhere from a study that scientifically, 50% of the people are like my wife. <laughs> and the other 50% are like me. For those of you who are like me, this is going to be heaven. <laughs> For those of you who are like my wife, I'm going to try to give you some points. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> I want to... Teach that the transference of the anointing can happen through the laying on of hands is a biblical concept. That this is biblical. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it's about the, it actually uses the, in one of the translations, doctrine of baptisms and laying on of hands. And, and we find out these things were for, uh, laying on hands was for ordination, it's for healing, it's for filling with the Spirit, it's for identification, it was for blessing. Many ways this was. So let's look at it. Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Now he's going to tell us what those elementary teachings are. And it doesn't mean these are the simple ABCs and we're going to go into really more mature things. It it's basically means this. Let's go... We're not going to keep talking about the foundational, most important teachings of Christianity. We've laid that foundation. We're not going to, we're, we're going to, to go on to other things. And then he tells us what these foundational, most important elementary teachings are. And here's the list. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. You can't get much more foundational than repentance. And of faith in God. That's pretty basic. Instruction about baptisms. 
It's not a singular water baptism. It's a plural. Water baptism, spirit baptism. Instead of instruction, one translation, you say the doctrines. The laying on of hands. And then number, that was number four. Number five and six, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Tonight, I want to put two of these together. The laying on of hands and the doctrine of baptisms. I'm not going to talk about water baptism. I want to talk about spirit baptism. Luke doesn't give us really, in my opinion, a, a clear pattern that this is the way God always does it. If he was, he didn't do a very good job of it. I, I don't have time to go into it, but in another sermon on this subject, I note that three of the times out of the seven or eight times in the book of Acts that there are spirit, people being spirit-filled, um, three times, at least three times, it's before they're baptized. Three other times, it's after they're baptized. And then, as others will say, it should be when we are regenerated. And for certain denominations, it's connected to baptism. So there's diversity. And there's times that people spoke in tongues when they were baptized in spirit. Times they didn't. There were times that they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were times that they... Um, it doesn't say what was going on, but it says you could see it was happening to them. From the book of Acts chapter 2, you can tell on the day of Pentecost, it caused them to look drunk. Now, I've been in 55 uh, countries, and some of them I've been to, like Brazil, 120, 130 times. Many of them I've been to at least 10 times. I have no one's ever thought I was drunk because I was speaking English in their, lang in their language when it's not English. Nobody's ever thought I was drunk because of speaking a language they didn't understand. I've never thought anybody was drunk because I heard them speaking a language. So P Peter said on the day of Pentecost, that which you see and hear, it was God. So what did it look like? What is, could it possibly be that they actually looked like they were drunk? Could it possibly be that, it, that they acted drunk? But not on alcohol, but on the new wine of the Spirit. I, I'm taking this based upon other people's stories, because I don't know by first-hand experience, but there are crying drunks. There are laughing drunks. There are staggering drunks. And there are fall down drunks. I remember one time coming home, I mean, coming to the hotel from the Ismailova Sports Center in Moscow. We had done, we had 2,500 Brits and I think five or around 500 Americans on this trip. And we have, um, we're having a huge thing we're doing. And uh, uh, on the way back, this guy thought we were rock and roll singers because we had, like you guys had, contemporary music. This is many years ago. And the, the guy thought, when he heard it, he knew a little bit of English. He thought, man, we've got a rock and roll band at the college. And he came to study it. But, you know, he realizes this, there's some words here like, Jesus. And, and he's, he says, I, I grew up under 
communism. I, I, I don't know anything about religion. And, and by the way, he's got some currants in his hand. It's called vodka. And it's not just a little bit. It's a fifth. It's, that's a bottle about that big, I think. You know, it's kind of like this. And he's had some to drink. And we're talking. We got like a several mile walk. I'm trying to my broken Russian and his broken English to communicate to him the gospel. And he doesn't get it. And I get to the hotel. I said, we're running out of time. And I said, God, I, I need a word. Now, I, you may not think that God could give you this kind of a word because it seems inappropriate for the subject, but I think that he helped him to understand. Listen to what I said. I'm trying to explain to him the gospel and what it means when you become a Christian. And he can't get it. I said, do you believe that vodka in that bottle will make you drunk? Ah, <laughs> he had a lot of experience. <laughs> you believe that vodka in that bottle will make you drunk? Da. I'm going to ask you that again. You believe that that vodka in that bottle will make you drunk? Da. And then he's a little frustrated. I can tell he's getting frustrated at me. He said, I'm going to ask you this one more time. Do you believe that that vodka in the bottle will make you drunk? <laughs> Yet. Okay. What has to happen for the vodka to make you drunk? He said, I got to drink it. I said, when you have drank the vodka, do you need somebody to tell you you did? Or can you feel its effects? He said, nobody has to tell me. It's it's self-evident. You know, it wasn't that good of English, but. I said, sir, in America, we call alcohol, vodka, spirits. But there's a Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, he comes in you. Nobody's going to have to tell you when he's in you. Because he's more powerful than the, that, lick, that alcohol. He brings transformation to your life. And so he got it. <laughs> this instruction about baptisms, I was talking about spirit baptism and being saved and being filled with the spirit. So in the Bible, we have times when people receive the Holy Spirit without the laying on of hands. It's biblical. That was an emphasis of the early Pentecostal movement. It was an emphasis of the holiness movement. It was the emphasis of the Wesleyan movement under, under, under Wesley. So it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And they were hearing them in their own languages. Nobody touched them. They're just praying, and the Spirit fell on them. I want you to know, you could be filled with the Holy Spirit in this meeting tonight just by your hunger and faith, calling on pre the presence of God 
in underneath your breath. And I really want to encourage you. It won't do you any good to tell me or anybody else that's going to be laying hands and praying for you. It won't do you any good to tell them what you want because they can't give you anything. We're like the UPS and prime um, delivery guys or the U.S. post office. How many of you would stand at your front door waiting on a postal person to come by and say, checks only, please? They don't determine what you get. The sender determines what you get. And, and so if, if you get healed and touched and power, it's not Randy. It's not John. It's not the person who prays for you. It's God. So instead, just in your heart, just be crying, God, touch me. Acts 4, 29 through 31. Now, Lord... Peter's praying, that, uh, the whole church is praying this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness because they've been told by the people that had Jesus crucified, don't you speak and preach or teach anymore in this name. Or they're going to be put in prison. They're going to be beaten. There's a lot of things they're going to do to them. They're threatening them. And so they say, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And this is what they meant with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 2, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. The Spirit of God enabled them. Acts 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That is another sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Timidity leaves. Boldness comes. He didn't say, when the, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we'll receive power, and you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the parts of the earth. Or you ought to be. He didn't say that. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we'll receive power, and you will be my witnesses. <laughs> When my wife was filled, the same, at the same time I was filled in 84 in March, when the vineyard guys came to my church, the people at the bank called me over and said, what happened to your wife? I said, what do you mean? She can't stop talking about Jesus. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. She even asked the president of the bank if she can open with devotions and read some scripture and pray. I mean, something happened to her. What happened? That's not the same woman we know. On the way home, I because three or four of the people asked me that. On the way home in the car, I said, Deanne, your colleague wants to know what happened to you. And I told her what she said. How do I explain that to her, to them? And she said this to me. I got more to talk about than I did. Before, I knew I was forgiven. And I knew I was going to get to go to heaven I knew Jesus as my savior, but now I know him as my healer. He healed me physically. He healed me mentally. He healed me emotionally. I know him as the, my baptizer. He filled me or baptized me with the Holy Spirit. I know him in a greater way than I did before. I've got more to talk about because he's done more in my life. Do you want more? 
There's always more. Heidi's written, Heidi Baker wrote a book called There's Always Enough. And in another one, I wrote one, There's More. Acts 10, 43 through 47. This is about Cornelius, the, the God-fearer, who is a, not a, a Jew. He's, he's a, a Gentile, but he believes in the God of the Jews. He believes in the moral law. He even attends the synagogue, but he's not a Jew because he's not received circumcision to become a, a full Jew. And Peter is sent to him. And it's all this divine appointments, and I don't have time to go into it, but it's just this huge, huge thing in the, in the book of Acts. And, and, and so Peter's in this sermon. It's really interesting. I want to find out what was Peter saying in the middle of his sermon when the Spirit fell? I said, there, that might be important because the, the Holy Spirit didn't wait till Peter's done. He didn't wait till the finish. Was, oh, the, he didn't wait for an invitation. Holy Spirit didn't wait for Peter to stop talking. Here's my biblical precedent that says it's all right if God interrupts a sermon. I've heard it say God will not interrupt the preaching of the word. He did here. This is in the Bible. This is in the book. How can we say he can't do that? But he did it. So here's what it is. Verse 43 of chapter 10. All the prophets testify about him, meaning Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. That word everyone is important, not just Jews. This is where the gospel is going to start going outside. Jews to Gentiles. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God just like he had done with them. I am so glad Paul won the, 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 the this discussion, the debate in Acts 15 about what it requires of Gentiles to be part of the body of Christ. Then Peter said, verse 47 now, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. These passages, nobody laid hands on anybody. Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 10. But the book of Acts also teaches that it is okay for somebody to lay their hands on you, that God may choose to do that too. It's not one or the other. And we have fought and argued over these things because we've camped on certain passages and ignored the other ones. And so for some of you, it may be when somebody lays hands on you because they're going to lay hands on you because they already see God touching you. I've instructed them, wait to see who God's touching and whatever he's doing, come in alignment with what God's doing and bless what he's doing. So that helps you to know that it's God. Acts chapter 8, verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, this is Simon the sorcerer, he, he had just been, who had just believed and been baptized, he offered them money and because that's what he did in his camp, in his sorcery stuff. That's what you do. He's a new Christian. He doesn't understand that. No, we don't charge. And he said to Peter, 
Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. What he doesn't, doesn't realize is that, well, that doesn't even work that way for them. There's sovereignty in this. God's the one that does it. Not them. Acts 9, 17 and 18. This is the Apostle Paul, who's not yet the Apostle. He's Saul. He's, he's a persecutor of the church. And, and it's in the middle of his conversion experience. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Because God told him what to do. Placing his hands on Saul, he, which proves you don't have to be an apostle to do this. God can call a disciple. That's all Ananias said. Hey, there was a disciple. So there may be times that God will ask you to lay your hands and pray for somebody. And I don't want you thinking, well, I can't do that. That's, that's only the domain of apostles or prophets. No, biblically speaking, whoever God speaks to and gives you the assignment, you are authorized by the assignment, not the office. Or I put it this way, you're authorized by the assignment not your ministry. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. In Acts chapter 19, 1 through 6, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Let me pause a minute. Every English translation that I found written, translated after 1906 from the Greek says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So I sent an I sent a letter years ago before all these programs was on your computers and stuff, when it was really hard to get all this stuff. Years, I mean, like 40 years ago, I sent it to my seminary and said, would you send me a, car, a Xerox copy of every passage in English of, nine, of uh, Acts 19, 1 through 6? And they did. I compared them. Every translation after 1906 says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And listen, and every English translation translated before 1906 does not say that. It says, have you received the Spirit since you believe? And in the NIV, there's a little footnote that says, or have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? You say, well, why did you ask for 1906? Because 1906 was Azusa Street. 1906 is the real, for the first time, really, the, the Pentecostal message is literally coming across America. And there is a lot of reaction because you have to understand something. It's really not just about tongues that makes evangelicals feel real nervous around Pentecostals. It's not, that's the, in my opinion, that's kind of more or less the smokescreen. The real issue is the Pentecostal understanding is we believe that God is giving all of his gifts and they're still available. And evangelicalism is almost 100% cessationist 
teaching that prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues and healing and miracles are, they don't exist anymore. God doesn't do that. And so the Pentecostal faith is literally threatening the, a very huge part of evangelical thinking. And so sometimes when something threatens you, you attack it. And that's why there was such a persecution. It really just wasn't about the, the doctrines of tongues as necessary initial evidence of baptism of the Spirit. It's much bigger than that. One person said, the Pentecostalism is the last vomit of Satan. He's one of the most famous commentators in England. I've actually stood in his pulpit and preached. And when it was over, there, there were bodies everywhere. All over the floor, up the aisles. And I went in with the, the, the president at that time, the, the new pastor. And there was a picture over here of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous evangelical commentator, and G. Campbell Morgan, that's who I'm talking about, who said that Pentecost last time I'm going to say, and I'm, I've got pictures of them on both sides of me, behind me, and I'm with the pastor, and I just got to preach about the falling of the power of the Holy Spirit in the very church of the guy who called it the last vomit of Satan. What I wanted to say is, I believe in heaven, G. Campbell Morgan is just having to be laughing at himself and say, I really missed that. Several years ago, I was working in the largest Baptist church in South Africa and Tony Campolo, a famous Baptist evangelist, was the other speaker. And God came very powerfully in that church. And he touched. He told the pastor, go out, walk across your parking lot. He did. And then he told him, now turn around. Remember, Ben, you was with me on this one. Turn around and look at your church. And when he did, there's flames, like five, six feet flames of fire. In Kansas City, when the Spirit of God was falling, the police, I mean, the fire department was called in many times because the neighbors, and in St. Louis, because the neighbors saw fire on the roof of the church. But it wasn't natural fire. It was Holy Spirit fire. And it was seen at Azusa Street. It was seen at the mission. And even though for a long time, Pentecostals couldn't even be considered in the, welcomed into the Association of Evangelicals, National Association of Evangelicals, until it was around 47, I think it was, because there was such a, a fear and a prejudice because was, your doctrine was so threatening. Today, very few people don't acknowledge the power of what God did at Azusa Street. Because today, 80% of all Christians south of the equator have had Pentecostal type experiences. And most of the majority, the majority of the people who come to Jesus or to the church for the first time come because they need healing or they need deliverance. History has proven that what happened at Azusa Street and the Pentecostal movement is the, one of the great is the greatest evangelistic force within Christianity, and so many people have been touched because of those pioneers who were persecuted, 
mocked and ridiculed. It would be a good 70 years before it becomes more fashionable to speak in tongues. It would be almost two decades before the news begins to be heard. When I was in, co when I was in college, there was a book written called The Secular City. It's written by Harvey Cox, a famous theologian from Harvard Divinity School. It basically says this, the cities are going to become secular because as he was looking at the traditional mainline churches that used to be big and full of people, they now just had a handful of people left and they were all gray-headed. And as he looked at society at this time in the early, in the 60s, he said, only the rural community is going to stay Christian. The cities, the urban cities are going to become secular. In 1997, I think it was, um, he wrote another book called Fire from Heaven. He had studied Pentecostalism for about two years, traveling the world. And he said, I was wrong in my first book. I did not see the power of those storefront Pentecostal churches. The cities today are becoming more spiritual, not less. He, did, he said, I underestimated the power of the faith within Pentecostals. Or spirit-filled people, if you don't like that term, or charismatics. Or fully alive. Whatever you want to call it. So back, back to this. I'm sorry for chasing that rabbit, but hopefully it'll be a good rabbit. Somebody told me, I'm going to take your rabbits one day and I'm just going to make a, a book out of your rabbits because I like your, your rabbits sometimes better than the sermon. <laughs> Somebody said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? I actually think it's better to say, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism, they replied. I believe these are not Christian yet. They're disciples of John the Baptist. They've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, you can hear that today in a lot of churches in North America, but you couldn't have heard a sermon in the early first century church that didn't mention the Holy Spirit because that's part of the gospel. It's not only forgiveness, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And it's not only for you, but for your children, your children's children. Acts 19.4, Paul said, John's baptism was baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one who's coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now they are Christian. Now they are Christian. He's baptized them. But they're filled with the Holy Spirit subsequent to the regeneration. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So we see both the Spirit coming on people, filling them with the laying on hands or without it. But that's not all the impartation is about. It's not just about filling with the Holy Spirit. It's also about activation of God's gift. So you could have been filled with the Holy Spirit and, there, and, and you could have another experience later in life where you're activated with in gifts of the Spirit in a way you weren't before. It's God...
Heidi Baker was saved at 16 years old and baptized the Holy Spirit in spoken tongues with either that night or the next Sunday night. She's a missionary. She had a PhD, earned one of the greatest schools in London. Brilliant woman, reduced to the simplicity of a five-year-old child because she's so in love with Jesus. But in 1997, she gets healed and then comes back to Toronto. She got healed in Toronto, then comes back two months later because she's burned out. And she told God on the way, if you don't touch me, because she's working hard with these orphans in the work, one of the poorest countries of the world. If you don't touch me, I can't keep doing this. I'm burned out. I have nothing to give my companion. Oh, I, God, I need you to touch me. All I know is her name. I've never talked to her, but John Arnett pointed her out to me before I preached and said, that blonde over there, she's a missionary from Mozambique, and uh, she's burned out. And she's told me that she came here, that God would touch her again and refresh her, renew her, because she doesn't feel that they can continue their work without his power. I know that. Now, I want you to remember that. So I'm preaching a sermon, something like this. And she runs to the front. And she's, she's right here, because it's to the right of the pulpit. She's right there. And she's crying. I see her. I know her name. is first name's Heidi. I don't know her last name yet. And I said, and I didn't know I prophesied. I thought I was just saying what was coming to my head. Heidi, God wants to know, do you want the nation of Mozambique? And she's on her knees crying, yes. And I said, this is what you typically say. It makes a lot of sense to say this to a burned out missionary rated, just can't go on any farther. God's going to give you the nation of Mozambique. You're going to see the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead be raised. Power of God hits her instantly, and she's shaking so violently. She's sweating. She told me, I felt like at that moment when you said that, God instantly pushed me into an oven, and I feel like I'm in 350-degree heat. I start perspiring, and I'm shaking violently. The power is going through my body. and gets so strong. I, actually, it's hurting, and I said, God, you're going to kill me. And she said, and I heard him say, good, I need you dead. <laughs> that would have scared me. I'm glad he didn't say that to me when that happened to me earlier. I, I, I would have. And then he said, hundreds of churches and thousands of people. And she says, God, how can that be? My husband and I started four churches in 17 years. It's almost killed us. How could we have hundreds? God took her into an open vision, showed her the faces of 12 African men that weren't in her ministry yet, but to ask each of these. And then God said, he, God did not say, and if they say yes, God said, and when they say yes, then you prophesy to them everything that Randy just prophesied to you. And she told me later, when that happened, God touched those men so powerfully. Some of them, I actually... And she prophesied to them, Johnny, Rego, you're the two that's going to raise the dead first. Start praying for the dead. And they were the first two to begin raising the dead. 10,000 churches have been started. Over a million people in the first 15 years after that prayer came into the kingdom of God. And for, it lasted seven days and nights. 
Her husband would pick her up and carry her to the hotel, carry her back, lay her on the altar, down before the platform, like an altar area. And for seven days and night, she's laughing, crying, shaking, having visions, hearing the voice of the Lord. I've read a lot of church history, especially about the Holy Spirit and these types of things. I've never read of anybody. I, I don't, I'm not aware of anybody ever having a longer lasting, more intense than what she has. But that was the word. The next 18 months, she loses $1 million as promised to her by a church and a pastor, half and half. And all they say, if you want that million dollars that we promised you, quit talking about Toronto. She says, I couldn't deny what God did to me in Toronto. She lost a million dollars. The government confiscated the buildings, the orphanage buildings. They confiscated them after they fixed them up. Roland gets cerebral malaria. Crystal and her daughter gets malaria three times in 18 months. Elijah is going through an emotional crisis. And she's diagnosed with MS. Heidi is diagnosed with MS and told by the doctor, if you go back to Mozambique, you're going to die. It's the worst health care in the world at that time. And she said to the doctor, I will not die. I have a prophetic word from God. I'm going to see the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead's going to raise. And he's going to give me the nation of Mozambique. And then suddenly, in three days, in three different provinces, she prayed for three blind women, and every one of them got healed. And they all had one other thing in common. They all had her first name in Portuguese, Ida. And God spoke to her and said, you're blind to the need of the Western church. The Western church is also poor and undone, but in a very different way. And I want you to minister not only in Mozambique, but I want you also to minister to the church in the West. So we see that gifts can be a part. You say, well, where do you see that at? In Numbers 11, 16 and 17, it's in the Old Testament. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. Now watch verse 17. I will come down. That's God. <laughs> I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. And they will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will have to carry it along. Later, when this is fulfilled, the evidence that they had received wisdom, the gift of the spirit of wisdom, was that every one of them prophesied. Though it says that the gift didn't continue with them. But the, every time people are filled in the Bible, it involves their tongues. Sometimes they speak in tongues. Sometimes they have boldness to preach. Sometimes they speak in tongues or they prophesy. Sometimes their tongues is, uh, is about worshiping God and declaring his glory. And sometimes it's in the worship. It's in the praise but when we're filled with the Spirit of God, it will affect our tongues in multiple ways. 
prophecies one as well. Deuteronomy 34, 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Now we have to understand that in light of Exodus. It's going to be numbers. I mean, I will come down. I'll take the spirit. It's on you. Put it on them. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Listen to, to Joshua. He received the same thing. He's one of the judges. They need wisdom. And that's what they got. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect your gift. It's not talking about being filled with the Spirit now. It's talking, you got a gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. That's so biblical. It doesn't say, and this is the way it's going to be until three or 400 AD. This is the pattern. Just say, well, it's, it, that's not meant to be proscriptive. It's meant to be descriptive. These miracles, these healings, that's not meant in the book of Acts. That's not meant to be proscriptive, telling us what we're supposed to do. It's supposed to be descriptive, just time describing what they did. That's not true. Because the apostle Paul himself says, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. Jesus said in the Great Commission to the disciples, go into all the nations, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no period there. It's a comma. And teaching them to obey, observe, do. That's the way it's translated, different translation. Teaching them. Who's the them? The new disciples that's believing in what the gospel that these guys are preaching. Teaching them to do everything I told you to do. At the top, go back and read the commission of the 12 and the commission of the 70, or not the 12. It's pretty much the same. At the top of the list of what God called his people to do is to represent his kingdom, preach the gospel of the kingdom, and heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and minister to the poor. It's kind of close to what Jesus said his mission was. How can we think we have good discipleship if we don't equip our people in the primary things how, how, can we, how can we allow the emphasis of Scripture to be compromised by the traditions of people? Second Timothy 1.6 Do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders when the body of elders laid their hands on it. That's the wrong one. It's supposed to be um, Fan in the flame the gift of God that's within you through the laying on of my hands. I actually trans put that cut and pasted twice. So anyway, fan in the flame the gift of God that's within you through the laying on of my hands. When you listen to the Apostle Paul, you can sometimes think that he got it wrong. He didn't really understand. And, and a lot of the critics that I have would have the same problem with Paul today. Because Paul said in Romans 1.11, I wanted to come to you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. Sounds like he thinks he can do it. But you have to read that verse in light of Colossians 1.29. For we labor with all his energy that works so mightily within us. We're not laboring in our own energy. We're not doing this in our own strength. We're not 
trying to get some, put our spirit on you because you don't want that. But this is biblical. Be hungry. Press in. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, may tonight be the night that you're filled with the Spirit. And if it's not the night, maybe the night be the night that you lay the demarcation. I am not going to live my life any longer than I have to. I'm going to begin to seek God. I'm going to begin to seek his face. I'm going to begin to seek his hand. Don't say hand or face because it's all God. Because we find out that the gifts are his presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Not just P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Done by his power. Now, transference of the, the, of the anointing of, by the laying on of hands is still happening today. Transference of the anointing without the laying on of hands is still happening today. We're done with the biblical part. Now we're starting on the stories. I believe that God is going to come tonight. I, I believe... I, I, I am laboring, I am trying to lay a strong biblical foundation, take all your fear away, show you it's scriptural, and show you that it's still for today because of what he's doing today, but I want to labor for you. I want to teach in such a way, you, you get hungry, that faith rises up, and you begin to say, if, if what God did and what he did through those people, I want to be a history maker in this land. Like the song that was very popular in the 90s. I want to be a history maker in this land. I got to be a history maker. But I also know I would have never had been a history maker. Even as this one book by 153 or 100 and some odd people, evangelicals that really made a difference in the kingdom. What they had in common, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit subsequent to their conversion. In 1993, I heard about what God was doing to Rodney Howard Brown. We, nine years early, we'd had an outpouring on my church, my Baptist church, and I'm dry. And this guy calls me and talks to me for three hours, and I'm, I'm crying. And I realized this is God speaking to me. I got out of bed because I, 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 I told him I was doing fine. I wasn't doing fine. I told him the church was doing fine. It wasn't doing fine. I mean, it was by certain standards, you know, baptisms, budgets, and buildings. We were doing all right. But presence, we weren't. And I just told the Lord before this telephone call, I'm going after you again. Because he had spoken to me and said, the problem with your church is too much you and not enough me. And so I got out of bed and I'm crying three in the morning because I've talked to this guy for three hours and I know God's speaking to me through this man. Do you believe God could send somebody to you and they give you a message. They may not even know they're representing God, but you do. And I'm crying. And he, I'm desperate. I said, Lord, he said that whatever happened, because I asked him. You see, he told me about all these manifestations, drunkenness and falling down and laughing and getting stuck and frozen and, and crying and the stuff. Almost everything had happened nine years early in my church. And so I said, well, hey, Jeff. What's the fruit? I read Edwards, you know, Jonathan Edwards. What's the fruit? And God also knows how to set the hook in your jaw. Because for me, I'd been pursuing healing since 18 years old when I was 
almost killed in a car accident, massive damage, and I got healed. And my healing is what saved me from losing my faith later on in some situations, and when, especially higher education and liberalism. I couldn't deny that God did miracles because I was a miracle. And because I'd almost died and I knew what pain was like, I had compassion. I wanted to, I, healing was a big thing for me, but I never saw hardly any. I saw five people get healed in the first 14 years. So I'm praying. I said, so what's the fruit? And he said, Randy, I have seen more people get healed in the two months after Rodney Howard Brown prayed for me than I've seen the last nine years put together in two months. And he says, you need to go see him. So I pray, God, make me a coin in your pocket and spend me any way you want. If you'll touch me one more time, I'll go anywhere and do anything you say. Lord, I am so desperate. I'm not going to eat until you touch me. My wife told me later, said when I told her I'd, I'd done that, she said that scared me because she didn't think God was going to touch me again. And she, and, and this was, this was 93 in 1984. I had done a 21-day fast and 85, a 40-day fast, seeking God all the time. Each one of those, and then I didn't fast anymore for 10 years. But anyway, they were both because I wanted a breakthrough in healing. So she's serious. She's scared. She goes, I don't think God's going to touch you. But I go to Rodney. I get prayed for because in 84, when God touched me in my Baptist church, I got, I literally, I, th I thought you're supposed to stand up and do everything you can. Do not fall down. Tighten your, you know, move your, curl your toes. Because I, I feel like somebody's going to move me forward. And, and I curl my toes up and then I tighten up everything. I try to stay on balance. And because and I, I believe you, 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 everything you can do, resist falling down so that until the big angel with the baseball bat comes and clips you to knees. <laughs> I thought it was hard to receive. Then I found out I'm not hard to receive. I just didn't know how to receive. Because John Arnott and I would be the only two people left standing out of hundreds of pastors, other people like Meshavda would pray for him. One of the guys in my church said, Randy, I don't think you're hard to receive. I don't think you know how. I said, what do you mean? He said, don't fake it and don't fight it. Make yourself like a sail in the wind. If the wind blows, don't resist. If it blows you back forward, blows you backwards. Just, just don't resist. Don't fake it. Don't try to fall, but don't try to not to fall. Just be yielded. Use your self. He didn't tell me this. My, my, use your self-control to yield it. You can use self-control more than one way. So I went to him, and in 1984, when I was touched, I, I, I shook like this. I got pictures. I mean, video of it. <laughs> And I shook for 11 minutes. I thought that was a lot. Until I heard <laughs> Heidi, seven days a night. You know? I mean, really, it was good. It was wonderful. Changed my life. 1989, when they blew on me, remember me telling you that story? I hit the floor, and I'm burning up. 
and I'm sweating and I'm hurting and there's so much electricity that my hands are getting like this and I'm getting the pretzel effect and it lasted 45 minutes and for the next hour I had to hold my hands up to my chest because if I let my hands down past my waist so much electricity came in I had to pull them back up they hurt it was painful you say what was the fruit there really wasn't a whole lot of fruit after that there was the first time because the first time I never prayed for anybody been healed but five times now I'm seeing people get healed frequently I never prayed for anybody and they'd fallen down until the first time after that it begins to happen I never had words just two words of knowledge my whole life now they happen a lot so there was fruit the second one there really wasn't a lot of fruit except an area that I couldn't get victory over I realized I have victory the Pentecostals are right. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to give us power to be witnesses. But it should have, the, the, the holiness and Pentecostal message should have never split the way it did with one saying it gives us power and the other says yes and it gives us power over our sin nature and gives us power to live a more holy life. The truth is, both of those are true. And we need to capture both of them. You need to believe. I, I, I wish somebody would have told me you, that which you thought was your flesh is not your flesh. In my case, it was demonic. I didn't know it. And so when I'm down on the floor and I'm screaming, I got people standing around me. I'm sweating a lot. And, and I heard people say, do you think it's a demon? And I'm sitting there thinking, no, this is not a demon. I'm being baptized in the spirit. Don't you, I'm saying, don't start yelling, come out. Don't ruin this. This is, this is, a, I've been waiting on this my whole life. And that, that's what I'm thinking, but I can't talk. And I got all this electricity going around my mouth and everything. And then I heard the guy prayed for me. The overseer says, no, I don't think it's that. I think God is baptizing him in the spirit and he will become one of the most famous evangelists in the vineyard movement. And I'm laying there saying, I like that much better than being demonized. Yes, Lord, I want that. They were both right. And I think I was saved. The power of God broke something in my life. And now I'm living in greater victory. So I, Toronto breaks out. And we're talking about, you know, uh, God touching people through the laying on hands. Rodney lays hands on him. Matter of fact, I got up and got, oh, I want to tell you that I don't want to be here all night. Uh, I've made that mistake before. <laughs> so John Arnett tells me the story about Benny Hinn, who's a friend of his. Claudio Frazen in Argentina heard that Benny Hinn said there's going to be, um, you know, he goes to see Benny Hinn because he wants to be a fresh anointing. He yells at him, Benny, 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 pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. He keeps following around. Finally, Benny said, come here. He prayed for him. He fell down, shook. He went home. He gets home and his secretary says, did you hear what Benny Hinn just said? No, but I just saw Benny Hinn. He prayed for me. He said, yeah, but Benny Hinn just said, God just told him there's going to be one man, one Hispanic man he's going to lay his hands on. And that man is going to get 
his anointing, what God is doing with Benny, he's now going to do through that man. And he'll lead crusades, filling up stadiums. And Claudio Frazier said, I want to be that man. He doesn't care. What's the odds? How many men are there in the Hispanic world? What's the odds that you're going to be the one? But when you're desperate and hungry and full of faith, you don't count the odds. You found the pearl of great price. Gets another ticket, flies back to where Benny's at. Follows him around again. Benny, pray for me. Benny, pray for me. Benny, pray for me. And Benny prayed for him. He goes home. John Arnott told me the story, but when I went to see Claudio, he told me it as well. He actually said, I was standing in a pulpit, and there's an usher going across the back. And when I saw the usher, I did this. I mean, I wanted to go get some, so I went, Whoosh. and everybody on that side of my church, go, tru, 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 tru. they just fell out. That had never happened in Claudio's ministry. He said, I got so excited, I did this one. And they go, tru, 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 tru. and so John Arnott said to me, would you want Benny to pray for you? Now, I know not everybody likes or, or agrees with some of Benny's theology. I love Michael Koulianis and his wife is Benny's daughter. I, I love that family. I, 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 I don't look to Benny Hinn for my theology because I don't think he's a very good theologian. He loves Jesus. He's learned how to flow with God. But I'm going to tell you something else. I would not go to any of my professors of theology to try to learn how to pray for the sick. <laughs> I'm going to go to people like Benny and Omar Cabrera and John Wimber and others that I did go to. So I wanted to go. So I said to John, yes, I will fly anywhere in the world as long as I know. I don't want to listen to him preach. I'm not going to go to listen to a sermon. But if you promise me he'll lay his hands on me, I'll go anywhere. So sometime later, we're going to Houston. He's down in Houston. And and we're down on the front row. He said, you guys on the front row. John, come on up here. And so we got up here. You know, Benny, he doesn't have assistants. He has bouncers. <laughs> I mean, he has their arms here, about as big as my leg here. And, and so we came up. They lined us up. And Benny Corn, Phil, Phil, take it, 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 take it. And we all, and some of the guys went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and one of them said, my career's over now, you know, because this is on television. And, uh, and everybody gets up, John on it, he gets up, and he waddles off, and I'm still stuck to the floor. Now, my board member, who's a Texan, had driven all night to get to there, get to, to there so that he could be there. He said, Randy, I saw what happened. So I'm lying there, and Benny says to his bouncer, get him up, bring him here. And I have been practicing what's going to happen when I see Benny face to face because I want what Claudio Frazen got. So this is what I'm, this is what I'm going to say. If Benny said, I don't care what Benny says to me, my response is going to be, I want what Claudio Frazen got. So this is my moment. They pick me up. They bring me right in front of Benny Hinn. And he says, what is God doing to you? And I said, I was not. And he said, what are you saying? I said, I want what I'm supposed to do. 
He said, well, what are you trying to say? I want what Claudio said. Nah. And I, I realized, I can't say Claudio Freeman. I don't know why I can't say Claudio Freeman, but it won't come out. I get a word of wisdom. He said, what are you saying? I said, I want what the Argentine got. And he hauled off and hit me. You have to understand, at that time, I was a vineyard pastor. There's a right way to do it. You put your left hand in your pocket like this. Thumb out here. Put your hand. And barely touch the forehead. So, because we don't want to be pushed down. We want to know it was God. That's kind of our value. But Pentecostals, their value, he'd, he'd been prayed for some other heavy, you know, guys. He said, if you're going to pray for somebody, let them know they had hands laid on them. <laughs> so he hit me. Who wham! Hit me. Bam! Right here. I shoot backwards. The, my friend said, your legs went up, your legs went out, and it's like an angel puts you in a... a, a, a what's that called? Slingshot. And boom! And I hit where two two-fours had to come together. Because that floor did not give. And I hit on the top of my head. And I'm lying there. Thinking. It's a Pentecostal myth. It can't hurt. Or that wasn't God. Because I have a goose egg. And that hurt. But I also had a a greater anointing and healing after that was over. One year later, I'm in Hoggesson, Norway. I got 50 pastors and praying for him. I come to this one. He's 35 years old. He's blonde-headed, blue-eyed, Baptist pastor. And I say, I'm not planning. I'm, I'm just saying, feel, 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 feel. And I get to him. And I said, I see you in a dark place. All around you is darkness. And God's going to make you light in the midst of darkness. And I see a multitude of people coming out of the darkness, following you in the light. Somewhere in there, I also said, he's going to make you a bulldozer. You'll make a way where there's no way. One year later, he goes to Pakistan, does his first crusade, starts out with a few hundred people. But that night, a man with paraplegic and this man, Leif Hetlands, who I'm talking about, Hadn't seen hardly any healings to speak of on the mission field. He'd been there before. This guy is a Muslim. Four Muslim friends brought him. And during the worship, he gets healed. And now they're running up. Lace afraid they're going to try and hurt him. Then he realizes it's a good thing. The next night it doubled. And by the next night, third night, I think it was like something like 50,000 people there. And a ministry, one of the greatest ministries to the Muslim world was birthed in this ministry of Leif Hedlund. He's led over 1,250,000 people to the Lord since he received that impartation. And when I prayed for him, he fell down and he shook. For two and a half to three hours. Puts my 11 minutes in perspective. But I was happy for those 11 minutes. 
So one, that same year, I was in Oklahoma City, and I was in a big Assembly of God church. It's a round church, about 700 people in it. And um, again, we lined up the pastors, and it's just a special time of prayer for the pastors. I'm going down. There's no, there's no prophecy this time. With Heidi, there's prophecy. With Leith, there's prophecy. But there's no prophecy. I'm going down, and I'm praying. And all I said was, Phil, 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 Phil. And they all fell down. But I couldn't have told you if one of those got more than another. Because they didn't. Two months later, I go back to Oklahoma City up the, on the north side in another church. Some people came and said, have you heard what happened to one of those Assembly God guys you prayed for? And I said, no, I haven't heard anything. Matter of fact, it was... Six years before I learned about Leif and two years before I learned about Heidi. So don't make me wait. I'm now 71 years old. I don't have that much time to wait for you to tell me what happened. So let me know quicker. And he said, listen to this. This guy, I didn't know him, but he's not just a pastor. He's a missionary. He's an Assembly God missionary to Honduras. And he had been there for 30 years. He already spoke in tongues. He already had a theology for healing. He already had a practice. It's like none of that changed. What changed was the anointing on his life. He already was baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I'm telling you this because you need to know that there is more. There was more for Heidi. There was more for Heidi. She's a Pentecostal speaking in tongues, baptized in the Spirit with the evidence speaking in tongues. There was more for my Baptist friend, Lay, And there was more for this Assembly of God missionary. And what, what was the fruit? More people had been saved in two months than the first 30 years put together. More people had been healed in two months than the first 30 years put together. More people had been delivered in two months than the first 30 years put together. Now, if you think that's the devil, I got some land I'd like to sell you. In a dump. 1996, we're in Moscow. Catch the fire, Moscow. It's for pastors. My ministry raised enough money that if they could get there, we would put them in the hotel, pay their bill, and feed them if they could just get there. But they had to be a pastor or a worship leader or a church planner. We have a thousand. We'd raise like $130,000. And the next year, we'd, we'd do, do it again. There's a stutterer there. His military card says severe stutterer. Somebody on my team, it wasn't me, did not know that he was a severe stutterer. And so they prophesied to him, God's going to call you to preach. They don't know he's a severe stutterer. One year later, we go back. I end up meeting the same guy. And prophesied to him he's going to be a pastor. God healed him of his stuttering. And he has one of the largest churches in Russia. The last time I talked to him, which was quite a few years ago now. In that same trip at the Moscow Catch the Fire, there was a missionary I met many years later. And I heard his story. I was at that meeting where you were at. I received an impartation. 
I have started 200 churches in the 10 years since I was at that meeting because of the power that came upon my life. It can make you bold. It does make you bold. One last pastor story. I want to try to finish this up so we got time for prayer. Lots of time. I went to this church called Bola Genevi in Sao Paulo, Brazil. It's several thousand people. There's one church at that moment, that time, and this guy. The guy and his wife, that's pastor, were cocaine addicts, and they got delivered from drugs and saved, and they started a church where nobody could start a church amongst the surfer community. You walk in, upside down surfboard is the pulpit, and there's a whole lot of tattoos, piercings, and mid-ridge skin. He's done a good job of evangelizing. He, we come in, he ends up, God comes on him. He falls down in front of his whole congregation, a lot of people being touched. He's there for two hours. It's dinner. We go out, eat dinner, come back two hours later. Now he's down for four hours. He's still down. At the send, in Jan, um, when the send to Brazil was, he, he's a leading apostolic leader. He has churches all over the world, many, many churches. And he told me, Randy, before that event, I never saw people get healed when I prayed. Now I see it all the time, ever since then. I never was able to pray for the leaders and pastors I'm working with and see God touch them. Now I do. All I want to say is, this is a good thing. This is not the devil. The devil doesn't like salvations and healings and church planning. Between Leif and Heidi and Henry Madavi from Kiev, each of those received an impartation. Each one of them, within the first 15 years, each one of them, their ministry, led over a million people to Jesus Christ. Thousands of churches were started. So, oh, point number three. Transference of the anointing. Forget it. I forgot where we were at two. Transference of the anointing occurs to those that are hungry and thirsty for more, but it also sometimes occurs to those who's against it. God's sovereign. I know in my pursuit of God, when I was a Baptist pastor in 84, and I've mentioned just fasting for God, I want more, I want more, I want, thank you for watching, but I want to see more healing. Because where did it come from? I read Rimber's book about Richard and Getty, who was a uh, Zulu evangelist, and he heard God say, if you will fast for 40 days, I will anoint you with an anointing for healing. And then another chapter, a Hispanic man in South America, he heard the same thing. If you will fast for 40 days, I will anoint you with anointing for healing. And I got on my knees and I said, God, I'm not going to promise, and I know you've not told me you're going to anoint me, but I'm so desperate. I want to see a breakthrough in healing. If you'll give me the grace, I want to fast for 40 days because I, I want what the breakthrough like they had. I really do want, and I know it doesn't earn me brownie points. I know it doesn't twist your arm. I, but it will focus my prayer because I like to eat. 
So I'm going to persevere and try to get this breakthrough. And God did give me the grace, and I made it. And all I got was skinny. No, no visions, no angelic, nothing supernatural. And I was so discouraged when it happens at Kansas City, at Mike Bickle's church, there's a conference going on. And I remember, um, I, I think, God, I didn't get anything. I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything. And so I go to this meeting. I'm an overseer in the vineyard at that time. And there's a man I met. I brought him into the vineyard movement. And I went up to him. And I'm going to say something like this. I bless you as your overseer. And I pray that God would give you wisdom. And you would be a good pastor. And, and God would use you. That, that's what I'm thinking I'm going to say. I get to him. And this is what comes out. I bless you with an apostolic anointing. You're going to become a church planner, and God's going to use you powerfully. And I'm thinking, where is that coming from? You know, just, just, I've never done anything like that. And God knocks him down, and he shakes for quite a while, and he became one of the major church planners in the vineyard movement. I said, God did do something. I just didn't know it. Illustrations from the Bible. Jacob wrestling with the angel. I'll not let you go until you touch me. You can get your name changed by wrestling with God. And if your name reflects character, you can, you can wrestling with God. God likes to wrestle. He likes the intimacy that comes out because when you're wrestling, you're getting pretty close. For 19 years or from, from 1971 to 1989, I'd been a wrestling with God. I want you to touch me so powerfully. You scare me. I, I want to close with this. Well, no. <laughs> Elijah and Elisha. I like this story. Second Kings chapter two, verse nine. What do you want me to do for you when I'm taking up? I want a double portion of spirits on you. So you've asked for a very difficult thing, but if you're with me when, it, when I'm taking up, it'll be done to you if you ask. And so the mantle falls to the ground and he picks it up and he doesn't go to, he doesn't do what some people do in charismania. He doesn't pick it up, begin to brag. I got Catherine Kuhlman's mantle. I got Benny Hinn's mantle. I got John Lake's mantle. Well, so what? I got his angel. And that's craziness. But it happens way too much. And that's not what Elisha did. What did he do? He picked up that mantle. He walked over to the same river that he'd watched his spiritual father, Elijah, take that mantle and strike the river and it parted. So he goes to the river with a mantle. He said, I want to find out if I did get something. <laughs> Where now is the Lord God of Elijah? Whack, and the river parted. He didn't have to say a thing. All the other prophets watching this, they said, surely the Lord God that was with Elijah is now with Elisha. And if you study it, he actually did have twice as many miracles as his spiritual mentor did. But here's the part of the story that intrigued me, and I didn't really get until later in life. When it happened, Elijah's been going to see Elijah, and he knows God says, this is the next one. This is the one I want you to anoint to become a prophet. He, I don't know if Benny got it from this or not, but Elijah took his cloak and threw it on him. And then he walks away. What have I done to you? 
sometimes in meetings like this, when I see the fire, the power, it's hurting, they're screaming, they're laughing, they're sweating, they sweat through their clothes because of the fire that's on them. Literally, I've seen this at least four times. One was the pastor of the largest Baptist church in Brisbane, Australia. I watched him. He's out for hours, and he's so much heat. He sweated through all of his clothes, his socks, his underwear, everything wet, soppy wet from the heat, supernatural heat. A few years later, in that Baptist church, they baptized 900 new believers in one year because of the grace and power that was on them. But I also know when that happens, I kind of know what it's like. What have I done to you? And I realize it's not me. It's God. Just like Elijah, it wasn't him. It was God that did it. Because some people, it means they're going to be fired. It means some is it's going to be wonderful and hard at the same time. It's really hard when you're gone from your family half the time, two-thirds of the time. It's really hard when people get mad at you. It's really hard when you have enough impact on the kingdom. Like Bill Johnson has so many critics right now that are unfairly saying false things about him. You don't get the fire of criticism when there's no fire in your life because you don't make enough difference for there to be attacks.